welcome back to the Talking Thomas podcast, your podcast for all things Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, Shining Time Station, the Railway Series, etc. I'm Orion. And I'm Tony. And today we will be discussing Shining Time Station. Um, we are continuing our run of the first four episodes of season three of Shining Time Station, which first aired in late March of 1993. The episode that we will be discussing today first aired on um, the day that we are releasing this episode, March 23rd of 1993. And that episode is known by two names, uh, Schemers Alone, which is what it is actually referred to on the title card for this particular episode and in its original airing. Um, but uh, the VHS version referred to it as Schemer alone. Um, so it's uh, you, you call it whatever you like, um, but uh, whenever you have that uh, pulled up, you can go ahead and press play now. Which is an interesting distinction to make, because even though it says Schemers alone on the title card, I have almost, almost always referred to this episode as Schemer alone, so singularly. Because this was one of a handful of VHSs uh, that I had. Um, as I said, if you heard our previous commentary, which was Becky Mates a Wish, I had a small handful of the officially signed, officially licensed VHSs, as well as uh, three of the four one-hour specials and one episode of Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales that my parents had recorded for me. Um, so it's interesting that this episode... Uh, is known singularly mostly because of the uh, a misprint on the VHS cover. When, as we just saw the title card, it does in fact, uh, it is plural, Steamer is alone, or Steamer is alone, as in Steamer is alone. Yes, and, and something interesting too that, um, that we should uh, point out too about the VHSs is that some of them had illustrated covers yes and then some of them had photographs and some of them even had both uh, different versions um i it, did all of them have one photograph version and one illustrated version or just some of them did because i know like i could think of stacy cleans up specifically had one this had a photograph and an illustration right but i can't think of an i can't think of a photograph version of becky makes a wish I swear there was one, but I don't recall the, I don't recall what the photograph version of that episode looked like, but I swear there was one. Um, I always liked the, the illustrations on those though. I, I, I um, they were nice. Uh, I'm not sure who, who did those illustrations. I'm sure that we could look that I'm up, sure. but, uh, but uh, yeah, I always liked the, the illustrations on those covers. Yeah. They were very nice. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the cover that I had, the, the steamer alone that I had was the picture cover. Um, although it was a still that I don't recall being used in the episode, so it must have just been a production still, um, which is interesting. So, yes, I, I quite enjoy this episode. Uh, as I said, it's one of the few VHSs of Shining Time that I had. Uh, I can't say that it's my favorite, but it's it's one that I look back fondly on. Uh yeah, and this is uh, also the first episode to feature Schemer in the title. It is, yes. Which yeah. we'd have many of in season uh, in season three. Uh, Schemer's Robot, uh, Schemer Goes Camping, Schemer's Schemer Special, Special Club, Club uh, many. And then, of course, an entire a series of shorts, Schemer Presents. Which, speaking of the VHSs, you know, Schemer Presents started out as uh, sort of um, 
additions to the VHS. They were originally just like little add-ons at the end of the VHSs. Um, but Steamer as a character proved so popular that they eventually put together a compilation of, I want to say, a, a few of the previously released Steamer Presents shorts, coupled with about two two or three new Steamer Presents shorts as well, which were exclusive to the Steamer Presents The World According to Me video. So... But yes. Which we'll eventually... And once again, we're seeing another part of the uh, the jukebox, which, of course, we first saw the dressing room in the last episode, Becky Makes a Wish, which was the first time that we had seen something like that. Right. Um, so once again, kind of expanding the, the world of the jukebox. Yes. It seems like a lot of season three, and I know we're only two episodes in, um, and I'll come back to why I say this when we get to a different episode. But it seems like a lot of episodes in season three start out in Billy's workshop. Um, I don't know why that is, but there's this one and there's at least one more that I can think of that both start out in Billy's workshop. Um, which, you know, I've always liked the workshop set. It's a fun little set, I think. So Yeah, I think so. I I, I quite like it. It's nice. And unlike the previous episode where Billy didn't appear until... 18 or 19 minutes into the episode um you know in this one he's of course uh in it quite early yes he is but it's nice to see uh mr conductor in some handyman attire it is uh george tarlin's mr chester tended to change costume quite a bit didn't he it's a fun little gimmick that they did with him um that's a silly i love it david picture i love it <laughs> I mean, it's 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 clearly a bad Photoshop job, uh, you know, pre-Photoshop, of course, but um, you know, it's 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 clearly someone's done a bad job of doing it, but it's supposed to be bad because it's because it's steamer, and that's part of the charm. So that. Um, that rattle that he was holding in the baby picture, which we only saw for like a second. Um, apparently steamers loved nittles all of his life because both of the, the rattle was nittle shaped and the blanket that he was wearing was uh, decorated with nittles. So. Yeah. It's funny that they say he, he shouldn't, uh, he can't just live in the station, but it seems like all the other characters do. They do tend to. They never leave, and especially the kids. They're here all the time. Well, like I was saying with the last, uh, a few, not our last Giant in Time commentary, but a few commentaries ago, I was mentioning that I can almost see why Dan's there all the time, because, you know, Stacy is his aunt. With Becky and Kara, it's a little less understandable because Harry doesn't work there anymore. And Becky just kind of doesn't have a family or no, she does. Of course she does have a family, but uh, if, if they are ever referenced to, they're never seen. So yes. But. Him handing everyone IOUs is a very funny premise. It is. 
It is. I know we've talked before about Jeannie the farmer, and you know she's not one of the best characters of the, not one of the best side characters of the show. But I think she's a fun character, at least in this episode, where she's given some decent material. I think she does pretty well. So. Well, writing the IOU to the jukebox. Yes. Great. That's a very, very, very funny idea. It is. I wonder if that was a Brian O'Connor invention. It might have been. I love it stuck on Tito's nose. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you wonder how in the world it got down there and also got stuck on his nose, but it's a funny gag. Oh, yeah. It's 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 one of those things you you can't think about it too seriously because it doesn't work if you try to think about it. <laughs> so it's it's just meant to be a fun little thing. So here we go with the jukeboxes. Uh, one song for the episode, uh, Polly Wally Doodle. Yeah, decent song, you know, not one of my favorites, but it's it's an okay song. Well, it's really never described why in the world Tito is wearing a mortarboard. Yeah, that, that's... I mean, they're all wearing funny hats, but why in the world is he wearing a graduation cap? <laughs> I, I was going to say, the rest of them are wearing, you know, slightly amusing hats, Whereas Tito's just wearing a graduation cap. It's, I, I think it's so draced and dance on top of it. Uh, yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. Uh, <laughs> needed a nice square surface. Right. Um, <laughs> That's, and I, I know that we've talked about it before, but I just absolutely love that his stool moves with him. Yes. Uh, obviously, it's to aid the, the puppeteer, but it just it's such a funny little quirk. It is. I like this song in general, so, um, but especially their version of it is, is quite nice. It is. It's 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 one of my favorites of the Jukebox's uh, songs. And it's nice too that they varied the way that they did the Jukebox in every episode, not in terms of the way that they they presented the songs as either a straightforward Jukebox number or as a montage. And so in the last episode, Becky makes a wish that it was a montage. Um, using uh, you know, some footage of the of the Shining Time characters, and then um, cut with the the jukebox footage. But then that one was a pure jukebox song, right? I like that as well. I I know we're a good minute or so past it, but I really like Tito's "Fare Thee Well" at the very end. That was great. Yes. Um, but no, I, I agree. It is it is kind of nice to see uh, the different ways that they present the jukebox. Uh, within the series so yes so and of course here we are at the uh back on sodor here with percy james and the fruitful day yeah it's it's a time which we had already discussed in a uh 
actually our last uh our last thomas commentary yeah um we discussed this episode uh so not really much more to say on it i think we kind of um explored all that we could possibly explore with this gem of a season three episode um it's just of course i'm laying on the sarcasm pretty thick there uh it's not not one of our favorite episodes i don't think it's really considered a fan favorite episode either i don't think we're saying anything too controversial there I, I don't know, because we've gotten a few comments on Twitter. Uh, there's at least one person on Twitter that seems to enjoy it. So that's, you know, good for that person. Um, you know, but um, it's a series three episode. <laughs> um, there is something, something interesting about watching Shining Time Station is that it's easy to forget if you're watching, if you're just watching Thomas and you're listening to the George Carlin narrations as we do as Americans, right? It, it's easy to see, Oh, he's the narrator. You know, you watch the episode, he's the narrator, but it's amazing how quickly your mind transforms it into when you're watching the shiny town episode. Oh, this is Mr. Conductor telling this story. Yes. Even though it's clearly the same episode, you know, it's, it's interesting how your mind kind of tricks you. Um, and it's the same thing with, with Alec Baldwin it, when he's narrating the story in Thomas and the Magic Railroad, you hear Mr. Conductor. But when you're just hearing him narrate the season five and six episodes, you're just hearing Alec Baldwin. Right. It's just, it, it's, it's a weird thing. Um, well, but that, that's the greatest thing of all about Shining Time. That's the hook. Right. Uh, is that he's telling the story. So it, it just works, even though there is that disconnect when they're just put on the video. And I think that at the time, well, I, and I think that that is part of the charm is that, you know, it does feel like you're being told a story, even though you could very easily, uh, well, you know, because this was one of the VHS ones, even though if you had the VHS for, I want to say that it was James Joe's Buzz Buzz. I do believe so. Yeah. Even if you had, if you had the VHS for Steamer alone and the VHS for James Joe's Buzz Buzz, and you could very easily, you know, switch over. It does feel like a different experience almost, you know, just watching the episode as, as opposed to watching Steamer alone and having this be part of that episode, you know, it's, yeah, it, it, it's very interesting that the way that that works. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's kind of nice to be able to go back and forth and, and have that experience. I don't it know. Fresh, it freshens these episodes. It does. The, the Thomas I, episodes, I should say. I, I don't know that it makes the story any better per se, uh, but it certainly gives a slightly different outlook on the story. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah. Um, you know, we've talked before about how there are times when uh, the magazine stories worked in times that they didn't. This was one of the times that I feel that combining two magazine stories didn't really work to their benefit. And it's not to do with um, the setup or anything like that. It's not like other series, series three episodes where uh, the Thomas episodes are just kind of, you know, they're two episodes, they're two different stories put together. They're, these are, I assume, two similar enough stories. They just, as an episode, it just doesn't work in, at all, really. In my opinion. Now, I'm not sure if I... I don't think I commented on it in, a, in their commentary on this episode proper. But I do uh, I do like the use of uh, uh, Percy squelched away. Yes. It's a nice little... Uh, part, partly, it's just George Carlin's line reading on that. 
Yeah. Um, we really can't praise George Carlin enough uh, for his work on the series. I was going to say George Carlin was one of the best things that happened to Shining Time Station, in my opinion. Well, and the, just Thomas in general. That, the franchise is better for his contribution. That too. And, you know, that's nothing against Michael Angelis. Uh, you know, he was a fantastic narrator for the UK, uh, for a UK audience. He was great. I myself enjoy some of his narrations. And so, you know, he he did a wonderful job for his audience. Uh, and George Charlin did a great job for his audience. So, yeah. Oh, there's Mitch Smoot again, because we were commenting. Yeah, so this is very fun that they're, (laughs) Uh, you know, the two kind of maternal characters on the show. Of course, Stacey, in a way, is is almost is kind of maternal, but almost in a big sister kind of way to him. Right. Less of an actual mother figure. Right. Some might argue potential love interest, but I, I would agree with the big sister as well, you know. And I like his uh, uh, that he is uh, cuddling up with the nickel bags. Yes, that's a very funny touch. It is. I like. I I think this is one of my favorite parts of the episode. I've always loved this really warped version of Three Little Pigs that that Midge reads out to him. It's you know because it it starts out you know sounding like it's just going to be Midge reading the Three Little Pigs, which is fine. But then it's like this really warped version where. Uh, the third page is, you know, really stingy, and uh, it's it's funny. Yes. So, do we? Is it? Are we able to see what he's eating? It, it's some sort of ice cream bar, I think. Hmm. I just wondered if it was anything funny about that, or I, I, I can't read the label on it or anything, but it's an ice cream bar. Um, I think it's just, you know, one of those, like you would get in the ice cream, uh, in, in the ice cream trucks with the, you know, where it's a, um, you know, a, just, just a chunk of vanilla ice cream with like it's covered in, you know, melted chocolate. Yes. He, he refers to it as a chili willy bar later, later on in the episode, he, he refers to it as a chili willy bar, hmm. which I think is supposed to. Uh, be a takeoff of um, because this was 1993. This would have been when Dairy Queen was having a bit of a resurgence in popularity. Uh, I think it must have been a reference to the Dilly Bar from Dairy Queen. Barton Winslow. Is this the first time we've seen Barton Winslow in a a commentary that we've done? Uh, Might be. Yeah. He's not in any of the one-hour specials, correct? That's correct. That's a huge burger. <laughs> this is where he references the Chili Willy bar as well, because Barton brings him the burger, and he's apparent and he's apparently too full to eat it because he's eaten fifteen Chili Willy bars. <laughs> so, <laughs> I do like how Barton's very no nonsense and matter of fact. He's like, I don't really care if you eat it or not. You're gonna pay me for it. So, yeah. Gerard Parks, he was another 
fun uh, th- that's who plays uh, uh, for those who might not know Gerard Parks is the name of the actor that plays Barton Winslow he was a fun addition to the cast he doesn't appear all that much uh, but in the few times that he does appear he's he's a fun character yeah I love that Skimmer refers to his dealings as creative findings <laughs> yes that was great Now, what's interesting is if you look closely enough, you can see the um, the the studio lights because they're reflected off of Barton's helmet. Huh. Yeah. I love that Jenny says, pop me out of a toaster. She said that, that's one of her regular lines. She said that a few times in um, the one hour specials as well. Mm, yes. And it's it usually is pop me out of a toaster and and then, you know, she throws in some other weird line right after that. Um, this one appears to just be pop me out of a toaster, but I know that there was at least one. Yeah, uh, put, you pop me out of a toaster. He's taking a powder. That's what she's right. Exactly. This is they did a lot more fun things with Mr. Conductor, not just the costume changes, as we've mentioned, but other effects and, and situations to put a bit really to take advantage of the, of the blue screen process that they were using. And also just to, because uh, they could do whatever they wanted since he wasn't actually there interacting, you know, he was by himself. So they right. could do all these different scenarios with the bicycle and, the, um, you know, lots of different fun things. And that had to be fun, you know, for George Carlin being a comedian already, even though it's a very different style of comedy than, he normally does it it had to be a bit of fun for him to do stuff like that i would think uh, uh, here once again we have another um magic bubble yes i know this was my first exposure to the magic or at least probably not my first exposure because i probably saw becky mates a wish before um but you know it's the one that i remember most because again i had this one on vhs and so this was my most memorable exposure to the magic bubble and uh, this particular song is called I Can Do It. And it was written by a, a Beverly Glenn Copeland, or written and performed by Beverly Glenn Copeland um, for Vitali Productions. And these are some nice outtakes from Huggies commercials. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. At least that's what it seems like. Yeah, this and this one, this magic bubble sequence. I know, I, I know, it relates to the plot of the episode, but it it just feels a little odd, slightly out of place. Yeah, this was probably my least favorite part of the episode. Even even growing up and watching it on VHS, this I this has fast forward written all over it, it for VHS I, for the, for the VCR. Right? In fact, I'm pretty sure I have fast forwarded through. Most of my viewings, the older I get, the more likely I seem to be, uh, the more likely it is that I'll fast forward through this part of the episode. So. Although I do like how that kid has got like the all black and it's not leather, obviously, but it looks kind of like leather, like pleather, maybe. I'm sure it's not. 
but yeah, it's a nice little song. It's okay. Um, the song itself is fine. Um, although I think the previous one was better. It goes on way too long, though. Considering we got shorted on the um, uh, Help Your Wish Along sequence in Becky Makes a Wish, the fact that this goes on for this long is a little heinous. It is. I mean, that was almost... That was almost... It was almost two-thirds of the length of the Thomas episode, it feels like. It probably wasn't. I'm probably exaggerating, but it felt like that. I like how that shelf gets uh, more and more done. Uh, that shelving unit gets more and more done throughout the episode. It's nice to see that little progression of Billy working on the shelving unit. Yeah, it's a nice little subplot. I mean, that kind of shows, though, how exciting the subplots were on Shining Time Station. But the most <laughs> exciting thing is that they're building a shelf. <laughs> Very true. It's a nice little full house moment here. Yeah, Shining Time tended to do those quite a bit. You know, we just uh, see the studio audience going, aww. Uh, but at least they didn't usually put in the sappy music. They sort of got away from putting in the sappy music in season one. They put in different types of music since then. Uh, it, you know, this would have been a real full house moment in season one when they had the sappy music playing. Yeah, it's an interesting idea to think of Shining Time Station being shot with a live studio audience. It is, isn't it? That's an interesting alternate reality to, to picture what that would have been like. Because the rhythms are always, you know, would be completely different. The way it was written, the rhythms, everything like that would be written to the audience. So it, it would be completely different. Now, I think Brian O'Connor's performance feels more like a theatrical performance because he came from that world of sketch comedy and um, uh, and uh, improv and things like that. So I, I feel he would have been right at home with that, but I'm not sure how natural it would have felt for the other characters and just the the charm of the show i think would have been lost a little bit i think so too um i almost think shining time works better without a laugh track so yeah it definitely it just has a nice it it makes it very unique really yeah um and a nice charm Mm. Now, of course, this episode's interesting too because uh, one by one we're adding the uh, the the kid characters since Kara's not in this one, um, right? And Dan wasn't in the last one. It is, yeah. And we never see Steamer's mother, but we get a pretty good description of her in this one, in that she wears a hat with fake flowers and a plastic skunk on top. Uh. Which, so she dresses just as garishly as her son. <laughs> well, he had to get it from somewhere. Uh, which which made sense. Uh, you know, because even though it, it's funny, even though Steamer's mother is never seen on screen, she almost feels like her own character because she gets referenced so often. Especially especially in this episode because it focuses on Steamer. So so, and really, this is the episode that starts the proud tradition of season three becoming the steamer show. Yes. 
Not without cause. Love- what? What's that? No, I was just saying, and not without cause, because, you know, Brian O'Connor is probably next to Dee Dee Khan and George Carlin. Brian O'Connor is one of the best parts of the series. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I um, no real complaints there. Um, yes. The, that I would yeah. normally have with any other series where a breakout character kind of becomes the focus right. of the show. I think they still kept enough of the other characters to make it still uh, watchable. Right. But what were you going to say? More, more than watchable, really. Uh, I, I was just going to say that I love his uh, back there. I loved his line reading on uh, what did she say? It, he just <laughs> all the, the drained from his face. Yes. Uh, very interesting. Yep. I, I do like how Skimmer's mother, you know, is trying to get him to grow up while still babying him at the same time. So yes, um, and yes, uh, we chat. We we said we were going to do this during the last episode. Um, Brian O'Connor does, in fact, have an additional writing credit in this one as well. So, um, Did, I, I guess I, I guess I missed that. I didn't see that. Yeah, it was towards the beginning, I think. So yeah, and I saw Craig Barron also had a credit. Uh, for additional material. Yes. Uh, that would, of course, have been for the jukebox scenes, of course. Yes. yes. Yeah, so that was Steamer Alone. Yeah, good good episode. Um, quite uh, quite enjoyed that one. Uh, not nearly as much as the previous episode, but uh, but still a good episode. Yes, it was. So, I, I enjoy it. You know, it's, it's one of the episodes that I'm most familiar with, but... Um, it was a good run. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was our, our commentary on Schemers Alone or Schemer Alone, uh, depending on uh, probably how you first watched this episode. Mm. And um, uh, at this point now, I would say most people probably first watched, uh, unless they're around our age or, or older, um, most likely probably will be first watching these episodes, uh, becoming Thomas fans and, and watching them on, on YouTube. So uh, probably um, – less familiar with the full VHS versions with intros and outros and uh, schema presents and everything like that. But, um, but yeah, this is uh, a, the, the second of the first four episodes of season three that we will be doing commentaries on all in a row here. So uh, this, as we said, first aired on March 23rd, 1993 and uh, catch us next time. We'll be doing a commentary on bully for more for Mr. Conductor uh, which first aired on March 24th, 1993. And you can find us on Twitter at TalkingThomas1, Facebook.com slash TalkingThomasPod. And we are also, um, of course, available to listen to on Anchor, our home, and uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, many other podcast platforms. And we thank you so much for listening. <laughs>